Pastor Xavier Reese and the best case for evangelism. The Thessalonians had the genuine contagious disease of Christianity. Is your case of Christianity contagious? If it is, so will your proclamation be contagious regarding the word of the Lord. Very important. You see, if you really believe what God saved you from and what is coming to this world, you're going to be sharing with people. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Hundreds, thousands, or ten thousands? Just how many people and programs do you need to make the perfect church? Today, as he begins a new series based on the book of 1 Thessalonians, Pastor Xavier explores what it takes to build up a church that is honoring to God. Right now, let's join him getting started with today's study, A Model Church on Fire. The church is an amazing organism that functions by the grace of God as He works through the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us as living stones. There are no perfect churches, but I do believe that there could be more mature churches if we yield it to the Lord much more. You have heard it said many times that there are no perfect churches, and if you find one, don't join it, you'll ruin it. Sometimes we have this ideal, and we say, well, this, and, and, and we become connoisseurs of churches, and, and if they don't meet our list, then we bail. And it's a carryover from our society. If, if we don't meet the needs of my wife doesn't meet our husband, I bail and I go to the next one. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to another church. I'm saying be committed. But there are no perfect churches. Align yourself with the church that you feel God has you. Get involved and be used and work. Now, as Paul begins the letter to the Thessalonians, he declares in verse 5 and 7 in the opening verses some facts regarding the gospel as proof of the Thessalonians' election. In verse 5, he says that the gospel had come to them. In verse 6, he says the gospel had been received by them. And then in verse 7, he says the gospel had transformed them. What an incredible thing. There's a simple process of evangelism. It comes to them, it's received by them, it's transformed them. Now Paul, building from verse 7, he explains how and why they had become a model church and model Christians to all around them. And so Paul is going to give us three marks as evidence of their transformed lives, which caused him to declare that they were a model church. Let me read our text. Verse 8. For from you... The word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here's the three marks that Paul gives to us as a model church. First, their proclamation was contagious, verse 8. Secondly, their practice was consistent with the gospel, verse 9. And then thirdly, their perseverance was based on confident hope, verse 10. Three marks. 
As we go through these, I want you to see how they apply to you. Are these found in your life personally? What would Calvary Chapel Pasadena be like if all the people that came here were just like you? Would it be a church on fire? Or would it be a sour lemon church? And that's the way you need to look at your participation and your involvement in the church. Let's begin here with their proclamation. It was contagious in verse 8. Notice first, they proclaimed the word of the Lord. The message was the word of the Lord. That's always the effective way to do God's work. It's real simple. The phrase represents the gospel, of course, God's revelation that is inspired by His Holy Spirit. It did not come to them in word only, he says, but also in power and the Holy Spirit when he comes to chapter 4, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to them. He says it in chapter 1, verse 5. The power of the Holy Spirit. It was received and welcomed, not as the word of man. In fact, in truth, the word of God, which worked effectively in those who believe. He tells them later on in chapter 2, verse 13. The phrase is also used in the Old Testament. You've read it many, many times. It describes God's word, and He is the author of that word. The spokesman, given the authority behind what is being spoken of, the word of the Lord. The Lord said, the Spirit of God came upon the prophet. They're all synonymous. But we can find the phrase, the word of the Lord, often in the old as well as we find it here in our text. Now, notice the method is described as having sounded forth. The phrase means to echo, to resound or to ring out. It was unmistakable. You couldn't miss it. The phrase is used of a loud trumpet blast or a roaring thunder as it is written in the perfect tense. A continuous ringing out and continued even to that time. Now stop and think. We live in a society where we are hinged together by house to house, city to city. I mean, it's just ongoing building. In Paul's day, this church was a major city, as we'll see. But in between there, there was nothing. But it was a key place, as we're going to see. And this sound of the gospel just kept going forth. And the apostles were being blown away. This is the only time this phrase appears in the New Testament. Now notice the measure still in verse 8 there. The measure of their message is said to be not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Macedonia was to the north, Achaia was to the south, but also in every place, implying far and wide. The proclamation of the gospel had traveled out from them in every way, contagiously, reverberating and reaching all directions without doubt due to the geographical location and the practicality of God through the Holy Spirit. God is very practical. Paul always went to cities. He didn't go evangelize in the mountains where there was a little tribe. He went to the cities, prepared men, and then those men went out to the little tribes. If we start doing missions the way Paul did them, we might be more effective. We go to the cities where people are, God raises people up, and then they send people out in their country. 
more effective, more efficient, more cost-effective. It's real simple. God wants to reach people. Don't miss the word but there. It's a strong adversative. Setting the two regions of Macedonia and Achaia against every place. In other words, it would be sufficient that Achaia and Macedonia had heard. But also in every place, there's a strong contrast there. This is the impact of the message. The city, remember, was located in the great highway of the Ignatius Road or the Ignatius Highway. It was the travel route and the major route for commerce for all the Roman Empire. So many would come in. There was a lot of money, a lot of people come in from all places. It was also a port city, an incredible port city. And from there, as you know, mariners would come in and mariners would go out. And as you know, any port city, boy, news travel and things come in overnight. You know, something happened in China. They come in. All of a sudden, the port here is all what happened out there. And this is the idea that's going on. And God is so practical that he sets the church there so that he can do a work. And that itself is set on fire all over the place. Notice, secondly, that they proclaim their personal faith towards God. Now, this is personal. This comes down to the individual. The report the people were hearing is described by the phrase, Your faith towards God has gone out. Linsky, the Greek scholar, declares this is one of the few instances called face-to-face preposition, the word prose. The idea being here is that their faith and trust faced God as He faced their faith, a face-to-face relationship. They had truly been converted. They had an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They weren't playing church. Their conduct of life and witness of their faith was one with the word of the Lord which reflected God's word in spite of the persecution. And they had become examples, and everybody was speaking about them. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. It cost them. Notice the result was that they did not need to say what? Anything. They need to say not one thing. Now, notice verse 8, in fact, is explaining verse 7. The people knew Paul and the others had come into Thessalonica and they preached the message of the gospel. What was the message? Jew and Gentile one. That was unheard of. Jew and Gentile one? It caught the ear of the people. The people knew that Paul and the others had established a church in Thessalonica. Had never been there. All of a sudden, a new ship comes in, and the first thing they hear, hey, there's this new church in town. Church? They're used to synagogues. <laughs> you mean the synagogue? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a new thing. The word of the Lord and their faith towards God lived out was a very clear, distinct message that was being heard and seen. And by the way, you hear it a lot louder when you see it. Very important. All of this identifies their work of faith. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. This describes their work of faith. 
When a person is said to have a contagious disease, it means that he has the whatever virus or infectious particle that if he comes in contact with somebody else, that other person will in fact get that disease. He will transmit it to that person if he is made contact with. The Thessalonians had the genuine contagious disease of Christianity. Not just enough to act as an antidote to keep them from getting the real disease. I fear lest today in the church people have just enough of the antidote to make them think they're Christians, but they don't have the real disease. Remember, because the rats in the cookie jar doesn't make them a cookie. Because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Very important. Is your case of Christianity contagious? If it is, so will your proclamation be contagious regarding the word of the Lord. You see, if you really believe what God saved you from and what is coming to this world, you're going to be sharing with people. It's like a fireman who pulls up for a cup of coffee with his rig. And as he pulls up, he looks up and the building's on fire. He goes, hmm. And he just walks in and gets his coffee. Well, it would be unnatural. His profession is to put fires out, to save people from fire. If he really believed that building was on fire, as he's seen, he would do something about it. Do you give out the word of God, and, or is it your opinion, philosophy, or psychology? Are you integrating? Are you mixing? Pulling a little here, pulling a little there. Do you promote your church or your pastor more than Christ? That can be real touching. Sometimes churches flop over like that. It becomes cultic almost. Now, there's nothing wrong with pointing people to a good, solid Bible teaching church and to recommend a pastor that can do that. But we have to be careful that we're not promoting the church and the pastor more than pointing people to Christ. Very important. Do you proclaim the word of the Lord distinct and clear, able to give an answer to every man for the reason, the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear, as 1 Peter 3.15 says? Defending the faith, the trinity, how you can be saved, why you need to be saved, water baptism. What's the difference between water baptism and baptism of the Spirit? Can you, can you defend that? Can you teach that? Do you proclaim the gospel whenever and wherever the Lord opens the door or only when it's convenient and it's not cutting into your time? And I'm always looking for opportunities for different things. To invite people to church or everything. You never know. You never know. Is your proclamation contagious regarding your personal faith towards God? In the Lord Jesus. See, a lot of people have a contagious faith for their church because of the activities. Is your passion for your Lord? That's important. Do you take opportunity to proclaim this to, first of all, your families? They're the closest to you. Then your friends who you hung out with and grew up with. They're the next. Then, of course, the extension of where you work or whatever it may be. Do you live your life of faith out to an extent that those around you don't have to really ask a lot of questions? They see you're different. It's noticeable. 
You see, the proclamation of Thessalonians was contagious. It was contagious. I notice the second mark in verse 9. Their practice was consistent with the gospel. Notice first, the apostles were hearing the report about themselves regarding their coming to Thessalonica. For those in Macedonia and Achaia, and every place. They were hearing this. This focused on the nature of the preachers and the gospel. It was different. They had come in the power of the Holy Spirit, chapter 1, verse 5 says, in assurance for the sake of those who would hear and believe. Verse 2 of chapter 2, they had previously suffered at Philippi and preached to them in much affliction. They didn't think of themselves. Chapter 2, verse 4, they spoke not pleasing men, but God. Chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, they did not use flattering words or pretext of greed, nor seek glory of men as apostles. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, they had been gentle as the nursing mother, even imparting their own lives, not just the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, they were self-supporting by working night and day, being blameless as examples, exhorting them to live likewise as good, wise, advisive fathers. Their entry was different from the charlatans and religious quacks that enter Thessalonica every day, trying to rip people off. We need to be different people. You see, American missions and denominations have polluted South America and the rest of the world. And they've gone begging. And so the people have learned that technique. And they become charlatans. And hucksters. God will raise up the church through nationals. And God will provide for that church like he provides for us here. He's not an American God. But there's a bad example throughout the world. And people merchandise people. And Christians rip off people and they give a bad rap. And Christians are known for being money-hungry beggars. Listen, people. We are to be givers. We are to bless. That's what we're to be known for. Their manner of entry was different. It's in the eras indicating a historical fact. It really happened. People couldn't believe it. They keep hearing about this. Almost incredible to believe. This also focuses on the efficiency of the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 6, they had received the word of God with much affliction. Okay? And yet it was effective. In verse 7 of chapter 1, they had become examples to all Macedonia Achaia who believed. You see the word declared here in our verse? It is a continuous present. It was non-stop. The message just kept going out. For that reason, Paul boasted upon and of them when he writes the second epistle, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, we boast of you all the time. Incredible. Now, this also could have referred to the fact that also Paul and the others had heard it through the mouth of Aquila and Priscilla. If you recall back in the book of Acts in chapter 17 when this took place in Thessalonica, in chapter 18, verse 2, Priscilla and Aquila had been expelled from Rome because Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. And then in, in Acts 18, 3, 
Aquila and Priscilla came to Corinth where Paul had ended up. Because remember, he came to Philippi. He was imprisoned, beaten. He left, went to Thessalonica. He got persecuted there. He had the jam. He went to Berea. He got persecuted there. They escorted him to Athens. He left Timothy and Silas there. He told them to come to him when he was at Athens. And then they arrived when he was in Corinth in chapter 18. And he sent Timothy back to Thessalonians. And probably Achille and Priscilla came and they from Rome said, Hey, listen, what's this we hear about Thessalonica? And probably heard it from their very own mouths. Now notice secondly, in verse 9, the apostles were hearing how the Thessalonians had turned to God from idols. This was shocking that a person would give up his gods. Notice their response to the reception of the gospel message was a day turn to God. The gospel proclaims the separation of man from God. The gospel proclaims the finished work of Christ for the reconciliation of man with God. But the gospel also proclaims one condition for man to be one with God. Are you ready for it? Repentance. Often we hear from the pulpit, salvation is unconditional. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. It is conditional. You must repent. If there's no repentance, there's no salvation. Absolute condition. Too often I think we've made the appeal of Christ to accept Him rather than to follow Him. If you're going to follow Him, your life ends and His begins. And you become more like Him and less like you. That's what conversion is. It's a turning around. That's what repentance means. You're walking away from God. You turn around by conviction and you walk towards God. That's what repentance means. Don't deceive yourself thinking that you're a Christian because you go to church or you have a Bible. That is not what being a Christian is. Now, this is accomplished through faith, which is believing the word of God that the person is hearing. God's revelation. And faith is given by God to hear, understand, and have it illuminated by the Spirit of God. It is all God's work. And then after that, after God has done His work like that, the individual has to act on what he hears, whether he will receive it or reject it. If he receives it, he repents from his sins by turning to God. He turns to God. And his sins will be abandoned. The word turn is used in the sense of repentance and conversion throughout the New Testament. In the book of Acts, it's used over and over and over again. Genuine confession brings about genuine forgiveness. Psalm 103, 12 says that he casts our sins as far as east as the west. Gone. Too often we want people to change so they can come to faith and that's backwards. For you and I to require a change from a person without coming to faith first is wrong. You must turn to God first, then you can abandon your sin. Apart from that, there is no hope. Vine points out that, quote, In no case is God or Christ or the Holy Spirit set to turn or convert anyone. Conversion is always a voluntary act of the individual in response to the presentation of truth. God will go as far as He needs to go to give you the faith, to give you the illumination, and then He says, decide. 
It's a choice. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of responding to the call of God. And you can find this program online to hear any part you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. And be sure to join us next time for more of the message, A Model Church on Fire. If you won't be able to tune in, a copy is available on CD for only $4. Having your own copy makes a convenient way to pass on to someone else you know once you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is A Model Church on Fire. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Why should we obey the Word of God? The reason on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 